This morning, uh, we have the opportunity to hear a, a, a word, a great message from Jimmy Bratcher. I'm going to ask Jimmy to come on up here today. He is no stranger to Lighthouse, so let's give him a hand this morning as he comes. Jimmy and I, I I've known Jimmy since, I want to say, was it 2001? 2002, somewhere in there. Yep. Um, we met uh, down at Bethel Temple some years ago at uh, the International Apostolic Gathering that was taking place there, and uh, Irvin Rutherford introduced us, and Jimmy and I just became good friends, and so through the years, we've been able to uh, interact, and one of the things I love about Jimmy is that Jimmy's just Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs> He is, he is just what you see is what you get, and a uh, great musician, and, and yet music hasn't been his only story. Some, sometimes people get locked into one thing, and what I've watched uh, happen in Jimmy's life through the years is that as he keeps in step with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit gives you the, the new and improved version of Jimmy uh, when, when you get to, to see him. So 2.0. 2.0. Especially with all those new body parts you've got going on now. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I've been spending some time in the body shop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you can tell you can tell them a little bit more about that, but I uh, I, but I, I love this brother. I love his family. Um, they uh, Jimmy. Uh, this a lot of people don't know this, but in 2016, Jeremy and I did a motorcycle trip to Alaska, and uh, when we got to Kansas City, and I saw the, where the route was taking us, I'm like, well, Jimmy lives there. Maybe he'll let me sleep in his backyard, and he wouldn't let me sleep in his backyard. He he gave us a uh, he gave us a uh, uh, Jeremy got the couch, and I got the spare bed. Praise God. And, and then he, he, he did some ribs for my, it happened to be on my birthday, June 29th. So it was on my birthday and Jimmy cooked me some ribs and I was like, I'm a blessed man of God. So you're a blessed person of God because Jimmy's going to bring the word today. God bless you, man. You. Love you. Well, it's a pleasure for us to be here today to hang out with y'all. My wife, Sherry, couldn't come. Uh, she fell back in June, and we were on a walk in our neighborhood, and she caught her toe on a little raised piece of sidewalk and fell and destroyed her right shoulder. And so on the 6th, just a couple of weeks ago, she had her a total reverse shoulder replacement. So she's at home recovering, or she would be here with y'all. And, uh, you know, Ken mentioned we've been getting new body parts. I got, I got new knees. This was my COVID present. I got two new knees, and I'm no longer bow-legged. And uh, Sherry got a new hip, and so it's like enough of that stuff. It's like, but, but we are rebuilt and ready to rock and roll. So we are, we are definitely ready for that. But Sherry sends her love. She's watching. If you all want to say hi, just everybody wave. There you go. She asked the cameras back there, but you know, she saw your hands and the back of your hands. It's like, okay, everybody wave. There you go. But uh, she's there and she has a friend, dear friend of ours, Teresa, who's staying with her this weekend. But, but we're glad to be here. We did bring some resources with us and I just want to mention these because they're important to us because they help us, the money that we make from those things help us to be able to do what we do. 100% of everything that you buy at the table goes directly into the ministry. We take no royalties or commissions off of those things. They go immediately into the ministry. And because of COVID, 
Uh, we started sending our resources out to prison. I know Mark Mason was just here not long ago, and and uh, Mark was inspired by my book that's back there, Don't Take Your Dreams to the Grave, back when he was a youth pastor here. Pastor Ken had me come. I think it was the first time I was here. No, it was a bit of it would have been after that. And um, and I had just written that book, and Mark was the youth pastor, and he got that book, and it wrecked his life. And so he, I'll I'll take it. I'll take the I'll take I'll take that. I wrecked Mark Mason's life. You can you can just kind of put that down. But um, but anyway, so we started because we were locked up and couldn't travel. We decided to. I just came up with this idea. We're going to start doing in-prison book signings. So we do these large-scale, on-the-yard prison events. We did one back in June. We had 950 inmates out at one time, which is very unusual in prison because they have them segregated by gang or by, by race one way or another, and they never let them out at the same time. And, and so what we do is we do these large evangelistic events with the band and the music and all of those things, but then we'll sit down and we'll sign a book and we'll give a book to everybody that wants one. So we started that in 2020, actually, and and just started sending those resources all over America to be able to do that. So when so that's why I take the time to mention these things. One of the things that we did was I've I've written a few songs about food, and all guys people said, "Come on with some of that." And uh, and so I kept threatening over time. Over you know, I'd sing these songs about green bananas or our grits ain't groceries, and uh, and I always said, you know, I'm going to do a whole album about food. And one day, my daughter Amanda said, you know, we should just do a cookbook. So we did. A hundred and ninety-six page, super fabulous cookbook, keto, paleo, Southwest, Southern. There's even there's the most unique recipe in here is from my grandmother during the Depression, and here's the ingredients: one potato, a pound of powdered sugar, and whatever jelly or peanut butter you have laying around, and it's candy. It's like, you know, a potato and a pound of powdered sugar. Surely you can make something good out of that. But so we put together this cookbook as a family, our family and friends, and then I recorded an entire album. Oh, the cookbook's called I'm Hungry. Yeah, I couldn't spell hungry, so I had to use hungry. So I'm hungry. So I did an entire album. We released that in, Mar in April of 2021. It immediately came into the top 50 contemporary blues albums in the world. It spent seven months on that chart. It, it spent seven weeks in the top 10 and peaked at number three. In France, they really like the song that I wrote, Bacon is on my mind. I don't know what it is, the French and bacon. It's like they like that stuff. But anyway, so if you want some of the music, there's a card in the back, and on the back there's a QR code that has a, an ad, it has a link to all of my music, and so you can sign up for emails. So that's back there. The book that wrecked Mark Mason's life is called Don't Take Your Dreams to the Grave, and there's some of them back on the table, but while we were locked up, I created a 24-episode video series, and then we created this 260-page workbook to go along with it as a companion. And just so you'll know, today this book's $25. Next week it will be $150. So I've been told that we're selling it too cheap. 
And, and then finally, there's another book back there that Sherry and I wrote together called Granny Paid for Our Divorce. And it's true story. Sherry and I were married and divorced, and it was so bad that my grandmother decided she would pay for our divorce. So you know your marriage is jacked up. And then finally, there's a book back there, and we're going to tell the story about this book today that's titled The Little Girl Wins. You know, all of my stories are always the same. And uh, I, hopefully I'm, I'm getting better at this, but all of my stories are the same. I can really jack some stuff up. And there was some nervous laughter in the audience right there. <laughs> but I can really mess some things up. And, and you know, it's, it's just like the Lord that he's the God of, of reconciliation. He reconciled mine and Sherry's marriage. But there was another disconnect that happened. And I want to read a, I want to read a passage of scripture before we start. It's, in, it's found in Psalm chapter 68. And I want to read verses 5 and 6. And this verse is, it really, verse 5, it reflects the reality of the character of God. The big deal of God. And it says this, that he's a father to the fatherless defender of widows. This is God, whose dwelling place is holy. Verse 6, God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You know, the great theme of the Bible, there, the Bible has a theme that's from start to finish. And that theme is God's desire to be a father with a family. Everything that planet earth is about is based on that one thing, his desire to be a father with a family. And when Jesus came, one of the most shocking things that he did that upset the religious community so much was that he introduced God as father. God's desire is to be a father with a family. And his desire for us is to, first of all, experience his love in that family and to experience the love of the family. But in our world, there's such a disconnect and there's so much dysfunction in our families that so many times it creates a separation in our family. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, this unique opportunity for us to be together today, Lord, for us to share in this sacred moment. Lord, I pray that our, our, our hearts would be open to hear and see what you're doing in our lives and in our families, that our eyes would see those things, that our mind would comprehend those things, and Lord, that we would not only realize what you're doing in our lives, but Lord, that we would experience your hand in all of those things. And Lord, we simply put our trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I have the capacity to make messes, as we all do. And in 1971, I was a selfish, out-of-control 17-year-old. I was doing everything I could to destroy myself, and I was hurting everyone around me because of my uh, rebellion, because of my, uh, just, I was just out of control. I was dating a girl at the time, and we were partying together, making really bad choices with our lives. And one night she came to me, and she shared this news with me. She came to me, and she said, I'm pregnant. 
And my rebellious 17-year-old mind couldn't comprehend that. And so I did what we guys do best. I hid. I ran. And I turned my back on a child. I abandoned a child. And a few years later, well, actually just immediately after that, I met Sherry and we went through divorce. But in 1976... Sherry and I stumbled into a little church in northwest Missouri and were confronted with a father who loved us. And we said yes to Jesus, and he revolutionized our lives. But there was still this mistake that I had made in my past. When Sherry and I first met, she asked me this question. She said, well, you're not going to have some kids showing up or something, are you? And I said, well, maybe. There's this one, maybe. And so that one, my daughter, Jessica, is here today with me. I'd like to introduce you to her. And as we share our story, this is my daughter, Jessica. Hey, y'all. How y'all doing? So we're going to tell you some stuff. We're going to tell you a story. Yeah, you need these. If you don't have any, find some. We'll sell you some for a small donation <laughs> to the ministry. You can pass those around, Leroy. Also, let me start by introducing Jessica's husband, Leroy. Leroy, why don't you stand up? A few years after Sherry and I came to Jesus, I was um, in a restaurant in our hometown, and I saw this gentleman walk in that I recognized as the girl that I had dated's dad, and there were these two teenage kids with him, this little girl and her big brother, and when I saw her across the room, I knew immediately that she was my daughter, and so I found a pay phone for you youngsters that's one of those things that was hanging on a wall someplace and uh, and I called Sherry and I said I want to tell you that I saw this little girl today and and there's no doubt that she's my daughter and so we started asking Jesus what to do and the answer that we received from the Lord was wait and so we waited Fast forward from the mid-80s to 2009 on Father's Day. I was speaking in a large church in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was an incredible day. The band was with me. My son Jason was with me and, and Sherry. And, and we told our story about how Jason had prayed for us when we were divorced that his dad would come home. And there was a girl in the audience, and she didn't know us, and we didn't know her, but she was so moved by what was happening in that church service that she began to communicate to her big sister who lived on the East Coast. So my sister Jennifer lived in St. Louis, um, and she was in this church service, and she's texting me about this story and how powerful it was and the music was smoking hot and these guys were amazing and this story of redemption and it was so incredible. I mean, she is blowing up my phone. And I'm like, just stop. Just tell me who the guy is. I'll look him up. And she says his name is Jimmy Bratcher. So I dropped the phone because I knew three things about my dad. 
I knew he had long curly hair. I knew he played the guitar and I knew his name was Jimmy Bratcher. Now she didn't know that and later she thought that perhaps I had thrown the phone because she knew how I felt. Because back then, my heart was one of anger. One of, my heart was so hard, like I had some really not nice things to say that we don't say in church about his absence and how I felt about that absence. And so I asked her, I said, do you know who this man is to me? And she says, no. And I said, well, that's my dad. And she said, well, what are you gonna do? And I said, absolutely nothing. And at that point, she started a conversation with my mother that lasted about 18 months. And in the midst of that, um, other people, this is what God does, right? Where there's absence, God fills in the gap. So he had given me my grandfather And he had given me my husband's father to fill in those spaces. And at this point, my grandfather's 88. No, he was 89. And my father-in-law is 70 and has COPD and he is dying. It is 2010 and I'm in a hospice room and I have one of those moments with God. You know, we like to think that, that we have to be all polished and cleaned up before we come to God. But I had one of those moments, one of those raw moments where I was screaming In the silence of the hospice room, I was screaming at God, like, really? What kind of God are you that you would take him from me? I don't have a dad here, but this is the only one I got, and you're taking them. You're taking them both. What kind of a father are you? And he began to ask me if I would trust him over and over from the time my sister was in that church service until February of 2011. So at that time, Sherry and I were speaking in a church in Christiana, Pennsylvania, and I was getting ready to speak for the ninth time that weekend. And just so you know, that's a lot of talking. And I was getting ready to walk out to go into the service when I heard this voice inside of my heart. And the voice said, I'm about to change your life. And I knew that voice. I'd heard it before. And and so I started dreaming about what that meant. You know, maybe Sherry and I will quit traveling. Maybe I'll pastor a church. Maybe I'll get a real job. But you know, we never get that right because we always sell God short on what he's capable of doing. And the Bible clearly tells us that he'll go beyond all that we could ask or even think. And so I went out and spoke that next, that final service and we got in the car and headed to Philadelphia to fly home to Kansas City. And I opened up my phone and here was an email from Jessica's mother who I hadn't heard from since 1971. And the email said this, it's overdue that you should meet your daughter and your grandsons. Her name's Jessica and you can find her on Facebook. And I responded immediately and just said when and where. 
name the place and time and I'll be there. I wanted to own this mistake that I have made and do whatever I could to reconcile that mistake. And I sent that email away and, and went into what I can only describe as the deepest grief that I had ever experienced in my life. I couldn't believe that I had done something as hideous as turned my back on one of my children. But I had, and I had to live with that grief as Jessica got my friend's request. So I get the friend's request, and if any of y'all are NASCAR people, you know the middle of February is the Daytona 500, right? It's a Super Bowl of the NASCAR, and my husband is a NASCAR guy. And so the Daytona 500 is on. He is in the zone. He's got the wings. He's got things like, it's like, don't talk to me. Like, nobody exists but the TV and him right there. And I get this Facebook friend's request on my computer before it was on our phones. And I said, uh, babe... I need you to look at this. Woman, the race is on. <laughs> Stiff arm, the whole deal. And I said, no, this one's important. And I said, hey, uh, I need you to look at this. And he looked at it and he says, isn't that your dad? And I said, yeah. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, nothing. And I closed the computer and got in the truck and I drove to the store for I don't know what. I'm not sure how I got there, but I remember really coming aware that I was at the store because I was in the parking lot and there was a whole bunch of bags in the back seat and I don't know what I bought. <laughs> and my sister's texting me, are you okay? No, mm-mm. My mom calls, are you okay? Do you think I'm okay? Like, why? why would I be okay right now? The man's been absent for 39 years and now all of a sudden here he is. What does he want? And she said, well, you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. You can just ignore it. And through the grief and the tears, I remembered that God had been asking me, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Because up to that point in my life, I had become committed to my identity as abandoned, as unwanted, unloved, unaccepted, unchosen, unwelcomed. I was an accident. And what that meant in that moment when God asked, do you trust me, is will you trade that identity, those lies, that unbelief for the truth about who I have made you to be? And so for dad, there was silence he didn't hear anything from me. For those people closest to me, they held my hand and locked arms with me while I processed the possibility that this was God inviting me into something else, something more. And so eventually, I wrote an email to my dad. And I said, you know, the little girl in me wants to run to you with arms wide open. But the woman in me wants to know where you've been and why now, because you know, I dealt with my emotions about you a long time ago. I knew that you would never see me dance. I knew that you would never see me graduate. And I knew you would never walk me down the aisle. 
that you're here now. And it's not unwelcomed or unwanted, but it's hard. And thanks for showing up. When I got that email, I was <clears throat> sitting at a restaurant in Daytona. We'd been doing concerts at Bike Week. We were staying with this old biker dude named Drifter in a house with no furniture. <laughs> and all he had was like a lawn chair in the living room. And I sat there for five hours to respond to this email. This was my opportunity to make right what I'd done wrong. And she mentioned this little girl. And that was the little girl I wanted to talk to in that moment. I answered her questions. I told her where I'd been and why now. But I wanted to talk to that little girl. And she wrote in her email, she said, thanks for showing up. And it was a sign to me that God was in what was going on because people ask Sherry and I all the time, they'll say, well, tell us about what you do. Tell us about your ministry. And our answer is always, we have the ministry of showing up. It's the same thing that you have. You know, here's the equation. Christ's in us. Where we go, he goes. And where he goes, stuff happens. And it's really that simple. But I wanted to talk to that little girl. So I answered her questions. And when I concluded my email, I simply said, Jessica, I hope that the little girl wins. In this argument, I wanted to talk to that little girl. In this situation, I wanted a chance to go back and to make right what I had so terribly done wrong. So this became, this opened the floodgates, right? That first email, because now it's a full-time job. Because now we're asking all the questions and, you know, good morning and good night and, and just really trying to communicate to one another, but never on the phone. Only text and email all day for three weeks. All of which, all of which, word for word, are in this book. Minus bad spelling. Hey, watch it. I resemble that statement. <laughs> so you guys were on the East Coast. Yeah. Still. Thank you for your help there. You're welcome. So Sherry and I were still on the East Coast, and later that week I told Jessica, I said, now if you would like to meet, uh, you just name the place and time and we'll be there. And so she agreed that on March 7th, 2011, that we would meet in Charlottesville, Virginia. Leroy was working there. They live in, in Southern Maryland. And uh, Leroy was working in Charlottesville, and so we set the date for Monday. March 7th, 2011, that we would meet. And she picked out a restaurant which happened to be the loudest restaurant so loud. in Virginia. It was so I loud. I mean, it was crazy. It was how loud it was. But so we pull in the parking lot and I get my first glimpse of Leroy. So their last name is Strong. His official title is First Sergeant 
retired Marine Corps Leroy Strong Drill Instructor of the Year. And I'm looking at him and I'm going, this dude's packing. <laughs> yeah, he's packing. But we pulled in and, and got out and I stood in front of Jessica and it was like I was looking in the mirror. So when we're waiting for them to come, we're standing in the parking lot, leaning on the bumper of the pickup truck as one does. And I want to be mad. I want to be angry and I want to punish him for all the things that he never was. I want to let him know exactly what he did when he made that decision to reject me. And God knows us so well because he knew that that's what I was going to do. Because when I started looking for that anger and I started looking for that resentment and I started looking at, for that justified rage, it was gone. Because when I said yes to trusting God, I gave him that box with all those little girl things, with all those broken pieces. And he gave me back something beautiful. He gave me my daddy. Are you saying I'm beautiful? You're beautiful. Thank you. It's in a Viking kind of way. It's the chart top and har. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People say, why do you have that long hair? Because well, I'm 68 and I can. <laughs> so they, Sherry likes it. She does. She does. But then they pull around the corner in the hippie van. The white pearl, if y'all remember that. I think we drove the White Pearl here once. You'd park it in a Walmart parking lot, and no woman would park within 100 yards of it. Terrifying. It was scary. It was terrifying. So they pull around the corner, and they go to get out of the van, and I'm looking, I'm going, he's a hippie. He's totally a hippie. And they walk up, and he's silent. He hasn't said anything at this point. Yeah, I made the decision because I'd never heard her voice. We'd never talked on the phone, and y'all parents know what it's like to hear your kids for the first time and and I'd made the decision it's like I'm not talking until she says something because I want to hear her voice I want to know what her first words are and I tell people it's like you know I never use words like hi or hello and a greeting because I'm too cool for that you know <laughs> I got some of the fawns anointing on me or something but I'll, I'll, I'll you're under the annoying the annoying yeah that's right <laughs> I'm under the annoying. And, but I'll, I'll say something like, hey, you know, or something, you know, you got to maintain the cool factor. I have decided that when I hit 70, I'm going to a whole nother level of cool, just so you know, just, just so you're prepared for that. So we get out of, the, out of the van and walk up and we're standing there and it's just so surreal because I look at her and it's like, I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm waiting for her first words. So they walk up, and I look at him, and I go, hey. <laughs> I'm a hugger. And we threw our arms around each other, and we wept. And we wept. And, and we, we wept, wept some more. <laughs> because at some point, Mom broke us up and says, hey, uh, we have reservations. We should probably go inside. 
And so we did. We went inside the restaurant and Sherry had brought Jessica and Leroy gifts that she gave them that were very significant. And I told Jessica, you know, I said, Sherry actually said, you know, we don't want anything from you. We don't expect anything from you. We're just glad to have this opportunity to meet. And I I told Jessica, I said, but I'm going to ask you for something. And I'm not demanding anything from you, but I want to ask you for something. And what I want to ask you for is I want you to ask you to forgive me. And she reached across the table and grabbed me. So the ripple effects of saying yes to trust in God is I'm able to reach across the table and look him in the eye and say, we can't change the past, but you're here now and we're cool. And so we began as a family, you know, but there's other people involved. Sherry, and Sherry said as we were going to meet them for the first time, she looked at me and she said, you know, Jimmy, we have a great life. We have a great marriage. And we have a great family. But something's always been missing. At Leroy and Jessica and the boys, that's what's been missing from our family. And it was the same for us. I mean, we were knitted together immediately, instantaneously. We celebrated Easter together for the first time that Easter. And it's just early, a few weeks later. Just a few weeks later, and it's early in the morning, and nobody else in the house is up. And I put my hands on his cheeks, and I said, it's like you were always here. And that really describes our relationship. She brought me a gift that morning, which was a coffee mug with daddy names all over it that were full of her favorite candy bar, which she had no idea it was my favorite candy bar. Zeros, if you're buying, Best you know. Best candy bar ever. We'll and, take all uh, of them. Not like a, you know, Snickers or anything. You know, it's like you get lucky on that one. No, this was a zero. And, and that began our relationship. But there were other people involved. Leroy had to be on board. My children... Jason and Amanda. Amanda, she said the same thing, exact thing that Sherry said without knowing what Sherry had said. She said, always something's been missing in our family. This is it. Jason, he had another response. He said, you know, I've heard all those crazy stories about mom and dad. I'm surprised this hadn't happened before now. <laughs> And then he immediately took on middle child syndrome. He'd always been the oldest, and so now he's the middle child. So he started giving us all that nonsense about being the middle child. Go ahead. So the miraculous things that happen just continue to unfold, right? So Leroy, Marine... All those things, security, knows where all the exits are. He knows how to get out of here before any of y'all ever even think about doing anything. And he says, you should take him home to meet the boys. Now, he's working 120 miles away from home. He is not going to be there. 
that to me in that moment is a miraculous thing. So I take them home and they meet the boys. But we meet at church where one of our sons is standing on the platform and the first image or the first moment he gets to see his grandchildren is he walks into a room just like this and sees one of our sons standing on the platform playing a guitar. Mom and Jacob got in trouble for disrupting prayer laughing and giggling and acting like they've been together for their whole lives. And it continues over and over. It does. It's been an an experience that uh, I can only describe as miraculous. You know, part of the, Jessica talked about all the names and identities that she had adopted. And in this situation, I adopted one. And it was called regret. I had regretted what I had done so deeply that I began to take that on as an identity which started to produce shame in my life. And we were at the house the first time that they came back to our home in May of 2011. And Leroy and the boys had went home and Sherry and Jason we're sitting there with Jessica, and J- Jason looks at me and he says, Dad, he says, you, you have guilt and shame over this, don't you? And I said, no, Jason, I understand what that is, and I'm not going to adopt those things. I'm not going to grab a hold of those things, but you have to give me regret. Absolutely not. And they attacked me like a pack of wolves on a piece of meat. And finally, Jessica says, look, I'm not going to live my life that way. And I don't expect you to live your life that way. So you need to get over it. She's bossy like that. I am. We're doing a whole t-shirt line for her and Amanda, my daughter, that says all things are bossable. That's right. We are the boss of all things bossable. But you know, with God, the big deal is family. It's why we're here. It's why he created us. It's his nature. He's a father to the fatherless. He's the one that places the lonely in families. But there's so much dysfunction in our family and so much of it is driven by our own fear and insecurity. And we have to be those people that don't allow fear to have place in our life. Because after all, he is the one that expels fear from us. Yet we're believers, but yet we're fearful. And we're fearful of each other. And we know that not every story turns out like our story does. But if if we weren't able to face our fears, we would never have the beauty of having this this girl, Leroy, the boys, all of this in our family. We would miss we would have missed that moment if we would have yielded to our fears. So we want to ask you, what's holding you back from addressing the situation in your life? Because there is one, right? Every family has flaws because we're people and that's what we bring is we bring our mess and our hurt feelings and our broken hearts. But when we operate from that place of fear, 
we exaggerate and accentuate and increase the focus on the broken places instead of giving them to God who's going to take them and make something beautiful and whole. Not unscarred, not unscathed. It's not easy to do it, but it's absolutely what he invites us into because I could, still, I could have still held on to all of those things, all that identity. 39 years is a long time to live with one label of abandoned. It's a long time to be walking in a certain way where I can't get good enough grades, I can't earn enough trophies, I can't get enough promotions and bonuses and all the things because I'm stuck in fear and the belief that I am something other than who God created me to be. And so we have a choice. And our invitation to you is to step into that. There's a point where you have to take action for your circumstances. Yeah, for the dysfunction that we created. You know, when Jessica was growing up, her best friend happened to be my niece. And they didn't, you know, of course, nobody knew anything about that and my niece Nikki asked Jessica one time what would you do if you met your dad and her response was I'd punch him in his face and walk away he doesn't have any use for me so I don't have any use for him I was 13 we all get a choice and where, you know, what, what's the choice for you? You know, what can you do? Our desire in sharing our story comes from the fact that we've met so many people that come to us and say, I'm Sherry, or I'm Jessica's mom, or I'm Jessica, or I'm you, or I'm one of the kids. And they have this thing that they're holding on to, this identity, and they're not willing to let it go. But it, it takes a choice to make a step and to take an action. What is that action? Can't answer that for you. That has to be something that you have to decide between you and God when that action is. For some, it would be like Sherry and I wait. For some, it would be don't do anything. But for some, it would be, you know, you probably ought to give God this hard heart you got. That's what your responsibility can allow. It's just to say, you know, I'm not going to live with this hard heart. I'm going to go ahead and cut these things loose and give them to Jesus and forgive. For some of you, it'll be make the call, do the research, step out of your fear and into faith and believe that something's actually possible. Does that mean it's all going to turn out good? No. But that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to take care of what you can take care of. And when he asks us, you know, one of the things that is the thing that is the pinnacle, the hallmark of Christian experience, the thing that is the biggest deal is forgiveness. And we as individuals have to learn to develop that skill and be astute at that in receiving it when we've been wrong, in giving it, when it's necessary but we become like Jesus who took upon himself those things that he didn't deserve any of she didn't deserve any of this 
But when the time came to make a choice, she made the right choice. And I'm so proud of my family because every one of them made that choice with 100% commitment. We're going to be family. And when we get together, it's just like any other family. We got our stuff. We got our issues. But, you know, it's the insults are flying. You know, the, the constant torment and abuse is there. We got dark guns. Yeah. And we've got family, right? Because with all those issues and with all those things, the choice that, that we made to say yes to what God had gave us a family that we didn't have before. So today, you know, you don't normally get this raw and real in church, but, you know, I don't know any other way to be. It's like these are, this is what I've done. This is the mistakes that I've made. And hopefully you can be inspired by those things where this area touches your life. So could we stand together? Maybe you're in that situation where fear has you captive or maybe you're in that situation where you've hardened your heart so much that you're unwilling to open it up again for the possibility of what God has for you in forgiveness. Whatever it is. You know, I'm a firm believer that there's an altar in the church for a reason. And it's so that we could be transformed. And I know in my life, when Sherry and I first came to Jesus, you know, we all have our assigned seats in church, right? And there was a rut in the carpet from my seat to the altar. Every time a guest minister came and they asked for an altar response, there was at least two people coming because me and Sherry were so messed up we just had to come and ask Jesus for help. And so today we're going to open the altar up. And if you're here today, there's no shame in this. If you're fearful, okay. If you're regretful, okay. If you have a hard heart, okay. This is a sacred place and a sacred moment. And you can bring those here and leave them and receive the truth about who you are and how God created you to be, no matter the outcome and the situation. You know, that verse in Psalm 68 says, He places the lonely in families. You might not get your dad back, your sibling back, your son, your daughter back, but He's got something for you, but only if you have the heart that's willing to receive it.